Welcome to episode 209 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. This show was recorded the weekend of December 21st, 2013. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. This week's episode of the Fredcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll find a fantastic selection of complete bikes, components, accessories, apparel, nutrition, and more, all at phenomenal prices with unparalleled customer service. When you need anything for cycling, simply go to JensenUSA.com slash the Fredcast. And by Fazari Performance Bicycles, where they design and build high-performance road and mountain bikes using the most advanced design techniques, materials, and components, and they sell it all manufacturer-direct for huge savings and provide you with a custom fit to ensure comfort, performance, and satisfaction. Go to fezari.com, that's F-E-Z-Z-A-R-I.com to learn more. Now, sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike, hammer just a little bit harder because here comes the Fredcast. Fellow Freds, welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast. Great to be back with you on this chilly weekend here in the mountains of Utah. Hope you're all ready for the holidays. Hope your holidays have been great so far. Got a lot to talk about today, and uh, we'll get to that right after the break. But first, got to pay the bills, and we've got to thank our good friends at Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast. You know, I was talking to the guys at Jensen USA last week, and I said, all right, Know that you're in the middle of your 17 days of Christmas. Know that uh, you've already given away that amazing Diamondback road bike. What do you suggest? I tell the Fredcast listeners that they look at right now if they're looking for last-minute gifts at Jensen USA. And of course, you know that you can find an incredible selection of products at great prices with unparalleled customer service at Jensen USA. But look, by the time you hear this, it's going to be tough to get a gift to your friends for Christmas in time for Christmas. So what do you do? And the guys at Jensen USA had, well, they had the plan and that is an e-gift card. Go to jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast and buy your cycling friends and family an e-gift card at Jensen USA because you know they're going to be able to find exactly what they need for cycling right at jensenusa.com. But you'll be able to send it to them right to their email address right away. So it arrives just in time for Christmas. Go ahead and check it out. It's a great idea because they've got such a great selection of products. Check them out at jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast. We really thank Jensen for all their support of the Fredcast. And of course, we thank all of you for your support of jensenusa.com. Well, a lot going on here in Casa Fredcast these days. Uh, Let's see. Uh, I think most of you who listen to the show know that I had rotator cuff surgery on my right shoulder Uh, Back in July, I was scheduled to have rotator cuff surgery on my left shoulder uh, two days ago. And well, best laid plans of mice and men. Um, Here's a little update on my injuries. Right shoulder is healing just great. The problem is about two weeks ago now, a little bit more than, uh, I was, we had a sort of a snowy day, lots of ice here in Park City. And uh, I was out salting the driveway turned my ankle and broke it and dislocated it. Ended up in the ER and the next day had surgery. I now have nine stainless steel pins 
and a stainless steel plate in my right ankle, and I am laid up for a number of weeks. So just when I was back on my bike outdoors and uh, getting back onto my trainer, I am uh, sidelined once again. My foot is constantly up. I'm not allowed to put any weight on it. It's going to be a long road back to recovery. So ski season's over before it started, certainly not on my bike, uh, and I couldn't believe what my calf muscle looked like uh, when I got out of the cast after two weeks. So yeah, not so good. All right, that's the bad. The good, we are now celebrating the eighth, count them, the eighth anniversary of the Fredcast and just want to thank all of you for coming along for the ride. Lots planned in 2014, so stick around and thank you so much for all of your support over these past eight years. And finally, should I forget to say it, although I don't think I will, because I've got four Podsafe music tracks for you at the end of this show. They're all holiday themed, and I just want to wish all of you a really happy holiday season. Here in the States, we had Thanksgiving last month. Of course, in Canada, it was the previous month. Um, for those of you who are Jewish, you had Thanksgiving, excuse me, at Thanksgiving and Hanukkah coinciding with each other. So your gift giving holidays are over long over for this year. Uh, but for everyone else, just a Merry Christmas, a happy Kwanzaa, and most importantly for everyone, a very happy, healthy, and prosperous new year in 2014. I look forward to many more podcasts and hopefully meeting and riding with many of you in the year and years to come. But I have a lot to talk about today, lots in today's show, so let's get right into it, shall we? Well, we've got lots of news to cover this week, and I want to start with a story that it's a little bit old. It's from September, end of September, but it's significant to me, and I think it will be to many of you as well. Uh, many of you know that I'm a native of California, and uh, you will also recall from listening to the Fredcast and the Spokesman that Governor Jerry Brown, some people call him Governor Moonbeam. I think maybe we should call him Governor Highbeam. Anyway, Governor Brown vetoed two previous three-foot passing laws in California. Well, at the end of September, Governor Brown finally signed AB 1371 uh, by Assemblymember Stephen Bradford of Gardena, California. And finally, California does have a three-foot passing rule for cyclists. Now, in the bill, it does mandate a minimum three feet of clearance anytime a motor vehicle goes to pass a cyclist. And that's three feet, according to the, the law, quote, between any part of the motor vehicle and any part of the bicycle or its operator. Sounds like great news. Now, as it went through committee after committee and through the chambers of the California legislature, it did get a little bit weakened. Um, but I still think it's definitely a step in the right direction. And here's where it gets weakened. According to Part D of the law, quote, if the driver of a motor vehicle is unable to pass, um, well, essentially by more than three feet, due to traffic or roadway conditions, the driver shall slow to a speed that is reasonable and prudent and may pass only when doing so would not endanger the safety of the operator of the bicycle, taking into account the size and speed of the motor vehicle and bicycle, traffic conditions, weather, visibility, and surface and width of the roadway. So there have been a lot of, well, there have been several cycling advocates who have said that that severely weakens the bill, but I really think that um, having something in place is a step in the right direction, especially in car crazy California, where cars are simply part, especially Southern California, where cars are such a strong part 
of the culture of the citizen. So congratulations to the state of California. Congratulations to Assemblymember Stephen Bradford. And thank you, finally, Jerry Brown, for signing a law giving cyclists more rights in California. Another new law giving cyclists new rights in the state of Nevada went into effect in October of this year. Uh, This is a law very similar to the one that many of you have heard about and we've talked about here on the show, uh, the Idaho law, which allows cyclists, um, motorcycle riders, moped riders, etc., to treat red lights in some specific circumstances like stop signs, allowing them to proceed through the red light even as it continues to be red. Now, there's some specific circumstances under which this is allowed. So for instance, according to the uh, Legislative Council's Digest, and I've got a link in the show notes to this, uh, section two of the bill allows a person driving a motorcycle, moped, or trimobile, or riding a bicycle or an electric bicycle to proceed into an intersection against a red signal if, one, the person stops as required by the signal and waits for a reasonable time, two, the signal does not change because of a malfunction or the failure of the signal to detect the presence of the motorcycle, moped, trimobile, bicycle, or electric bicycle, and three, the person yields the right-of-way to pedestrians and other traffic proceeding as directed by the signal at the intersection. In other words, we all know we've gotten to uh, intersections, the light's red, nobody is coming in the opposite direction and uh, for miles, and yet the loop underneath the pavement is not detecting us and our bicycle, and the light just continues to glare red at us. Without a law like the one in Idaho or this one in Nevada, we've got to continue sitting there until that light changes. If we should go through, even though nobody's coming and we're seen by a law enforcement officer, we're going to get a ticket. But here, as long as you wait the reasonable time, and if that loop does not detect you, then you are allowed to proceed through as long as you're not interfering with pedestrians or other traffic. It's a great idea for a law, one that I'd like to see in a lot of other jurisdictions. So congratulations to cyclists in Nevada. You may now treat many of those red lights under those specific circumstances as stop signs. Now, of course, I haven't read you the entire bill, so make sure that you're completely familiar with the law before you do so. Good news, though, for those of you in Nevada or those of you who ride in Nevada. And by the way, There's some great cycling in Nevada, even around the Las Vegas area. Go ahead and check it out. One of the topics we've been talking about a lot here on the Fredcast and on the Spokesman is the issue of cars versus bikes and our relative safety when we're out on the road. As a matter of fact, I have a lot of voicemails from listeners coming up in the features section of the show on that very topic. Well, I have a number of news topics on that subject as well, starting with this one. This story took place in Los Angeles County on December the 8th when a former executive, actually the former chief operating officer of, you'll recall, the online file sharing service Napster, was struck and killed while riding his bicycle on Mulholland in the Calabasas area of Los Angeles County. What makes this story stand out and what makes it especially tragic is the fact that the vehicle that struck him and the driver behind the wheel were attached to the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. According to the San Jose Mercury News, Sheriff's Deputy Andrew Wood, who was attached to the Malibu Lost Hills Station, 
was the driver of the vehicle at the time, and he is a 16-year veteran of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Following the accident, it is reported by the Mercury News that the deputy did make a radio call asking for assistance and an ambulance. Unfortunately, the cyclist was killed as a result of the accident. And a few days ago, a memorial was held in the area on Mulholland Highway. A ghost bike was erected and friends and family gathered to memorialize and remember the individual who was killed. That former Napster executive is Milton Everett Olin Jr. He's 65 years old, and until his death, he was working for a local law firm in Southern California, the law firm of Greenberg Traurig LLP. Now, according to everything that we've read, the Sheriff's Department so far has not released any 911 calls or radio calls associated with the incident. It said that the deputy was either responding to or coming from an incident at Calabasas High School uh, there in northern L.A. County. But it's unclear whether or not he was code 2, in other words, whether he was proceeding with haste but without his lights and siren, or whether he was code 3, with lights and siren, or whether he was simply on routine patrol, and whether or not he was uh, somehow distracted. Considering the description of the incident uh, and uh, the fact that the cyclist was separated from his shoes and his helmet uh, and the fact that the sheriff's deputy was actually trans uh, transported to a hospital with arm lacerations and glass in his eyes, it would seem to indicate that he was likely otherwise involved when he was driving and struck Mr. Olin. I'll have more on this as it comes up. I'm guessing that within the days and weeks to come, we'll learn a lot more about what the Sheriff's Department intends to do. Officially, the Sheriff's Deputy is listed as being on vacation at the moment. I said that sort of with air quotes with my fingers. Uh, I have a feeling that he's uh, flying a desk at the moment uh, until the investigation is concluded, and I hope that the L.A. County Sheriff's Department does the right thing here. Uh, I'll keep you posted as further word arises. Now, following on the heels of that, an interesting study from Dr. Ian Walker, and let me set the stage here. You may recall talking uh, way back in 2006 about Dr. Walker's work in the past because he he's looked at the way that drivers view cyclists and whether or not that view of cyclists affects the distance with which they will overtake cyclists. So back in 2006, Dr. Walker looked at this, and one of the most interesting conclusions that he found from his study was that drivers will traditionally give cyclists more leeway if they're not wearing a helmet and more leeway if the rider is perceived to be a woman rather than to be a man. Interesting results I've quoted it time after time in discussions that I have with cyclists and motorists alike. Dr. Walker has now returned to his overtaking research, this time looking at whether or not what we wear when we're cycling affects the distance given to us, the leeway given to us by drivers. He looked at 
5,690 motorists passing by his heavily instrumented bicycle. He has a sensor attached to, or sensors attached to his bicycle that tell him with every interaction with a vehicle, the distance that they give him between the vehicle and himself or his bicycle as he's riding. And what he found out was it really almost doesn't matter what you wear. He used five different uh, kit, if you will, five different outfits that he tested, uh, including, a f- well, what Carlton Reed described to me as a Fred's outfit. So the typical Lycra shorts and um, the typical jersey uh, uh, that you might expect on a quote, what a lot of motorists would call a racing bicyclists, uh, which would typically portray to the motorist, that you have a high level of experience and skill all the way down to a vest that he put together that on the back he wrote novice cyclist so that hopefully the motorists would note that this was somebody had little who had little experience and perhaps give them a little bit more leeway. They also had, uh, he also had a vest that had the word police on it and a warning that the uh, drivers were being video recorded. And then they also had one that looked like a police officer's vest or jacket. And on the back, it had the word polite in all caps. So it kind of looks like police. What he found was very interesting. The proximity with which vehicles overtook cyclists were completely unrelated to what that cyclist's apparent experience level was. However, Drivers did give the police vest a little bit more leeway than they did the uh, regular uh, cyclists or the folks who were wearing everything else. Most significantly, 1% to 2% of the vehicles who overtook the bicyclists came within 50, 50 centimeters of the rider, no matter how they were dressed. So you might consider that those were either the drivers who were completely paying no attention, who didn't realize that the proximity with which they passed uh, uh, cyclists mattered, or perhaps they were distracted. At the end of the day, uh, Dr. Uh, Walker's conclusion is that we as cyclists really can't do much with what we wear to prevent people from passing us very closely. And he therefore suggests that it's going to take infrastructure changes, educational changes, and perhaps even legal measures to help prevent drivers from passing too close to bicyclists. Now, I've put links in the show notes to both studies, the earlier study and this newest study, so that you can read for yourself. But I think that it's very uh, apropos to a lot of the conversations that we've been having here. No matter what you wear, it may not make a difference to how visible you are to motorists, and to how closely they may pass. And while we're on the subject of safety on the road for cyclists and uh, courtesy uh, by motorists, a couple of videos recently came to my attention that I I just want to bring to your attention because I think that that, uh, both of these uh, productions are just, are really good. 
and things that we as cyclists should view uh, and show to some of them to kids and some to fellow friends or, or friends and family who are cyclists and motorists. So the first is a set of videos, about a half a dozen of them, uh, that the city of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada produced. They're really, really good. The, the city of Edmonton is, uh, they have a, a master plan uh, for their city, uh, specifically around sustainability. Uh, and they built sort of the city of the future using Legos. And then once they did that, uh, they then thought, wow, this is a great medium that we can use for educational purposes. And they produced about a half dozen bicycle safety videos that are intended for both cyclists and motorists, for kids and for adults. I, I highly recommend them. They're entertaining. Uh, they're intelligent. And uh, they teach really good lessons. So, of course, there are links in the show notes to those videos. Go check them out. Uh, they're just, they're really fantastic. And I, I kudos to the city of Edmonton uh, for putting this together. The other video that I want to bring to your attention is one from a campaign called Dear Motorist. Now, Dear Motorist is a, um, a video uh, that is around a campaign uh, that asks motorists and cyclists to sign a pledge to share the road, to essentially, this is going to sound familiar, be good citizens, be good motoring citizens, and be good cycling citizens. And it is put on uh, and and um, sponsored by a number of industry brands that we all have heard of. Uh, uh, there's just too many to to mention, but they, they all... Uh, should get kudos from us on participating in this campaign. And the video that I want you to take a look at, it's on YouTube, and of course I've got a link in the show notes, and I, I've also linked to it um, on my Facebook page, uh, but it's called Dear Motorist. And it's letters written by cyclists, friends of cyclists, family members of cyclists, to motorists asking them to share the road uh, with some great visuals, all of which, by the way, look like they were filmed here in Utah. I didn't even know that, that that was the case, but all these places look very familiar to me. It's a really good video, and I would strongly suggest you watch it. Share it with your social media friends and share it with your friends and family. And yes, go to dearmotorist.com and sign the pledge. Uh, I've signed it as a motorist and I've signed it as a cyclist because like one of the letter writers says, I'm on both sides of this issue. I am both. Well, not right now because I'm kind of laid up and I can't do either, but normally I'm both a motorist and a cyclist. And so I, I definitely do see both sides of this, this issue. It's a great video. Please share it with your friends and family. It's at dearmotorist.com. And of course, I do have a link in the show notes. Well, moving from safety to marketing, a couple of stories that point out the power of social media in 2013 as we get closer to 2014. The first concerns specialized bicycles. And a two-year-old bicycle shop up in Canada, in Calgary, called Cafe Roubaix. Earlier this month, the social media world learned through an article in the Calgary Herald newspaper that Specialized had filed a cease and desist against Cafe Roubaix, a shop that's owned by an Afghanistan war veteran uh, from Canada. And the order from Specialized was, we own the rights 
to the trademark Roubaix, you are infringing and you have to stop using it. Well, this started over a weekend and the social media firestorm was fierce. There were tens of thousands of comments on the Cafe Roubaix Facebook page, probably tens of thousand tweets going all weekend long with absolutely no response from Specialized. And meanwhile, this endemic cycling media started writing article after article, waiting for Specialized to make some sort of a comment. Finally, on Monday, actually, I think it was Sunday, it was learned that Specialized doesn't even own the trademark to the name Roubaix, but that it was originally uh, trademarked in the 19... Uh, 1992, as a matter of fact, according to our friends at bikebiz.com, by Toshoku America, which was then part of Fuji Bicycles. Fuji is now owned by the American, excuse me, Advanced Sports International, or ASI. Uh, Their CEO, Pat Canan, came out on that Monday morning indicating that as the owners of the trademark specialized had uh, uh, overstepped its bounds since they were a licensee of ASI and that and that ASI had absolutely no problem with Cafe Roubaix's use of the name. By midweek, specialized CEO Mike Sinyard had personally flown up to Calgary and met with the owner of Cafe Roubaix to make peace and make a YouTube video indicating that Cafe Roubaix and specialized had come to an agreement and that Cafe Roubaix could continue to use the name. Still, some of the damage was definitely done on the specialized side, and meanwhile, Cafe Roubaix was reaping the benefits as consumer after consumer purchased products from the Cafe Roubaix Bicycles website at caferoubaix.ca. And I believe they're still trying to catch up with the t-shirt orders and all of the other orders that came through from the website. I saw a tweet from them recently. They had a stack of PayPal invoices that looked like it was about four, five, six inches tall. It was simply in Credible. Now, it seems to me that all of this must have stemmed from the fact that Cafe Roubaix is private labeling a line of carbon wheel sets. And for those of you who don't know, Specialized and other brands have been plagued in recent years by counterfeiters. Now, normally you think of counterfeiters uh, that, that the concern would be that they would be taking profits away from the manufacturers. And while that is a concern, the primary concern is that counterfeit bicycle products, consumer products in general, typically do not have the quality control that you would get from buying wheels, for instance, from Specialized or Reynolds or anybody else of of some consequence. And therefore, the concern is that if you were to go, if you were to buy a wheel, as an example, or a bike frame with the Specialized name on it, If it didn't meet the quality control standards, well, that could come to work against Specialized, both from a legal perspective and also from a reputation perspective. So these brands are fighting, well, literally tooth and nail against these counterfeiters. And so what probably happened in this instance is that some attorney somewhere working for Specialized saw the Cafe Roubaix wheel and instantly decided to slap them with a suit. At the end of the day, should Mike Sinyard have been involved? Absolutely. I think that he should have. As a matter of fact, Mike Sinyard wrote, quote, I screwed up and I own it. I would like to apologize and let everyone know I realize I handled this situation wrong from the start and I'm very sorry for that. 
As for the owner, Mr. Richter of Cafe Roubaix, he wrote on his Facebook page, quote, Mike's comments in regard to Cafe Roubaix Bicycle Studio are bang on. From our negotiations that were finalized when Mike made his trip out to see us, we gained an understanding of the why and how and accepted Mike's apology from himself and the specialized family. So at the end of the day, all is right with the world, except I believe that there, at least if you look at the Facebook comments, the Twitter comments, all the social media buzz, there are still a number of consumers who are very upset about what happened in this instance and still are holding a bit of a grudge against Specialized. I think that in the long run, let's see how Specialized handles situations like this in the future. If they don't just take the knee-jerk reaction and if they don't go after uh shop owners and shops and brands in the way that they did, or at least their lawyers did in the Cafe Roubaix case, then we can judge that they've learned their lesson and that uh, perhaps this was a situation that may have been good for Specialized and the industry as a whole because it will make people take a closer look at situations like this in the future. And finally, I think that it definitely points out the power that social media has in today's times. And speaking of social media, a very interesting story with a different slant from Washington State here in the U.S. This one concerns Liberty Bottle Works. Liberty Bottle Works is on the periphery of the bicycle industry. I certainly see them at the Outdoor Retailer Show every single time. And they are manufacturers of metal uh, bottles, reusable bottles for water and and things like that. Uh, What was interesting was what happened to them via social media and how they handled it. It turned out that during Thanksgiving weekend here in the United States, an angry customer posted the following on their Facebook page. It said, quote, don't, and by the way, this is all in caps, don't do business with this company if you want it handled right. They wait over a week to let you know they lost your payment. They provide a phone number that no one ever answers. If you have a deadline, like Christmas, forget about it. Product is great. And by the way, that part's not in all caps. The rest is. Company is not. Well, what's interesting about this is that if you think about everything we've all heard about customer service, right? The customer is always right. What's interesting is the way that Ryan Clark, Liberty's co-founder and chief operating officer, responded to this individual on their Facebook page. And I'm going to read this verbatim as well because it is a classic and it went viral. So much so it ended up in an, in an article in Adweek. Mr. Clark writes, this is Ryan Clark, Liberty's C- co-founder and COO here. I normally do not hop onto Facebook rants, but this one needed to be addressed. First of all, Ms. Blank, thank you for your order and your desire to support American companies, job creation, green manufacturing, and the hiring of vets. See how this is sort of similar to the Roubaix situation? We did receive your numerous voicemails and emails. The buck stops with me. This will, I am sure, upset you. My customer service team will not be helping you on the weekends. Your voicemail stated, quote, It is the holidays. You should be working, unquote. And your email stated, quote, Instead of doing my business, my, my Christmas cards and enjoying the holiday spirit, I was dealing with this, unquote. Perhaps you need to spend a bit more time embracing the holiday spirit. You see, my employees were home with their families, doing their cards, baking cookies, etc. Family first, product second. 
If you want immediate service on a Saturday, try supporting your local retail establishment. And then he gives a list of ones that she can go to. As to your original complaint, we emailed within 24 hours of your order concerning, concerning the PayPal issue. Second, we called you first thing this morning in response to your angry emails, but you hung up on us when we introduced ourselves, saying, quote, I never want to speak with anyone from your company, unquote. Ms. Blank, we pride ourselves on doing things well. We pride ourselves on doing things right. We pride ourselves on doing things the American way. Not instant gratification, 24-hour shopping on Thanksgiving type of American way, but family and country type of American way, the way our grandparents did things type of American way. I'm sorry you're upset, and I'll gladly give you your money back, but I'm not sorry our employees were enjoying the holidays. That right is not exclusive to you. If you would like to discuss this on the phone, you may call my personal cell phone, and then he gives his number. If I do not get back to you right away, understand I may be eating dinner with my wife and kids. Please be advised we will not be shipping you your order. You will not be charged. I will not do business with anyone that threatens my employees the way that you have. Merry Christmas. Now, as I said, this post from Liberty Bottle Works COO Ryan Clark went viral. So much so, as I said, that it ended up in articles around the world, including one in Adweek, in which they agreed, listen, it's not always the customer that's right. And sometimes company owners, managers, GMs, managing directors, leaders who put their employees before the customer in situations where customers are being irrational or harassing or just downright unreasonable, those are the leaders to be emulated. I think that a lot of us have always learned the customer is always right. I think what, what we're hearing here is the customer isn't always right, but the customer is the customer. It seems to me that Liberty Bottle Works tried to teach the customer properly, but the customer at the end of the day simply wanted to be irrational and angry. And by coming to the aid of his employees and defending them in the way that he did, I have a feeling Liberty Bottle Works is getting a lot more out of this than just one order. So kudos to Mr. Clark for what he did. And that's the kind of business that I want to do business with. Meanwhile, in product news, you know, Many of us want to reduce our carbon footprint, and for many cyclists, that's exactly why they prefer to ride their bicycles than drive in a car or other mass transit. Well, there's a team in Thailand which is working on something that will not only help us reduce our carbon footprint, but help us to replenish oxygen in our environment. There's a company in Thailand, in Bangkok, called Light Fog Creative and Design. They look like they must be an industrial design firm, and they are working on what they are calling a photosynthesis bike. The way the photosynthesis bike would work is that within the aluminum frame, excuse me, within the aluminum frame of the bicycle would be what they call a quote-unquote photosynthesis system that would generate oxygen using a reaction between water an electric power from a lithium-ion battery. Now, this is only in the concept stage at the moment, but essentially, as you ride your bicycle, air pollution would go in and clean air would go out. Now, no photosynthesis bikes have actually been produced. Currently, the product is in mock-up stage, but the team did recently win a prestigious design award called the Red Dot 
Design Award, which is internationally known uh, for industrial design. A couple of things that we would have to consider, obviously, would be the weight associated with the system, the need to recharge the lithium-ion batteries, and whether or not there'd be any byproducts of the chemical reaction, the photosynthetic reaction, and what would happen to those byproducts. But at least from my perspective, it would seem to me that while I'm not going to put this on my racing bike or my mountain bike, uh, probably because of the amount of weight involved, uh, people who riding heavier commuter bikes might be so inclined to add this to their bikes. But certainly, if you think about the bike share systems around the world, I could definitely see these added to those bikes in the future because perhaps while the bike is in its docking station, it might be possible to recharge it perhaps maybe using solar cells. A very, very interesting idea. It may never come to fruition. I just love the fact that people are looking at things like this. And finally, in this section about products, we're actually going to talk about a car. Now, I don't think this will surprise many of you who listen to the Fredcast. I'm not much of a car guy. I drive a car. It's utility. I need it. But, you know, I'm not one of these guys who can tell you about horsepower and all of that and all the features in cars. It just doesn't matter to me that much. But Toyota is developed or has developed a customized version of their sport utility RAV4 model that I could actually get excited about if it actually hit the dealer's shelves. They announced this at the end of October for a... Uh, auto specialty show that took place in Las Vegas at the beginning of November called the SEMA show. That's the S-E-M-A show. And what they did was they created, uh, by teaming with Life Fitness and Team Toyota triathletes, they created a customized version of a RAV4 sport utility vehicle that I think most of you listening to this podcast would also be interested in. Let me read from their press release. And by the way, before I do, they were teaming with uh, Team Toyota triathlete Sarah Haskins, Andy Potts, and Hunter Kemper to build this RAV4. Included in the custom features are a hot water shower with a five-gallon fresh water tank, a spin dryer and gear storage compartments in the rear cargo area so that, for instance, while your wetsuit drips into the drain, you can enjoy a shiatsu massage in the front seat while reviewing race statistics and tracking data through an integrated iPad. Now, it doesn't just end with the iPad and the shiatsu massage and the shower. Listen to this. In the rear seat, a refrigerator holds water and recovery drinks near a blend tech blender and a cupboard full of snacks. A wireless Bluetooth speaker allows music to move with an athlete around the vehicle and a custom roof rack keeps two bikes secure yet easily accessible. This is a car that I could get excited about. I've got a link in the show notes to where you'll find the press release from Toyota. I thought this was awesome. If it comes to a dealer near me, I'm going to go out and buy one. All right, so now we get into the part of the show that some of you, I think, sometimes skip. And I'm going to encourage you not to skip this part of the show because there are, yes, this is the recalls portion, but there are a number of recalls here which directly affect Fred's. And I want to make sure that you get this information. So please stay tuned to this section of the show. I have a number of recalls and I will go through them as quickly as I can, but I want you to know about them. First of all, for any of you who follow social media, who follow my tweets, my Facebook page, you will know this one because this one has has really been very widely disseminated and has gotten a lot of high-end cyclists very upset. This recall 
involves SRAM road hydraulic brakes. I want to be very clear about this because in early December, excuse me, early November, SRAM originally announced what they called a technical issue with respect to a small range of RED22 and S700 hydraulic road brakes. At that time, according to SRAM, it really looked like it was just going to be a performance issue and not a safety concern per se, and certainly not a wide recall. However, in mid-December, on December 13th, SRAM issued a stop use immediately warning for all SRAM road hydraulic brakes, SRAM hydraulic disc or hydraulic rim brakes. Again, they're telling you to stop using a bike equipped with these brakes immediately. And they've said that all products that were shipped to date and that were currently in the market or in inventory would be recalled. Now, this isn't yet an official Consumer Product Safety Commission of the United States recall notice, the ones that I normally read to you. This one came directly from SRAM. And it's interesting, you know, for people who don't listen to the Fredcast, it's really interesting to me to see how they've gone kind of crazy about this, as if all of a sudden quality control in the bike industry has gone through the floor. No, there's recalls all the time, as you all know. But because this one affects such a high-end product, people are literally just going crazy. Now, what's the issue here? Well, I'm going to read directly from SRAM's website. Again, there is a link in the show notes. But they said, It has recently come to our attention that during last weekend's cyclocross racing in the United States, in sub-freezing temperatures, several failures were reported. In these conditions, the master cylinder seals failed to hold pressure, resulting in abrupt loss of brake power and an inability to stop the bike. These failures are related to product that is outside the originally stated date code range, in other words, those RED22 and S700 brakes, and unrelated to the original failure mode. No injuries have been reported to date. Thank goodness. But can you imagine loss of brake power or an inability to stop the bike? That is scary when we're talking about brake parts. So please, if you have SRAM road hydraulic brakes, stop using them immediately. Now, for those of you who have bikes equipped with these hydraulic brakes, SRAM is working as quickly as they can to get the hydraulic issues fixed. In the meantime, they're sending out cable-activated BB7 brake calipers and cable pull levers so that your dealer can retrofit your bike with these brakes instead of the recalled hydraulic disc brakes. Okay, so that's the SRAM recall. Another Brake recall is from Tetro and TRP. They're recalling their Spire and Spire SLC mechanical dual piston disc brake calipers. There's about 2,000 of them out there here in the United States. And the problem here is that the brake cable actuator arm can be over rotating, dislocating the balls that move the pistons, and that can result in a very similar situation a loss or a reduction of braking ability. Now, this recall involves the Spire and Spire SLC brake calipers sold as original equipment and aftermarket in 2013, and they include both black anodized and silver finishes sold with either 140 or 160 millimeter rotors. You're uh, instructed to stop using the brakes immediately, return them to the original place of purchase for a free exchange. Okay, next up, for those of you who are mountain bikers, Fox is recalling their Evolution mountain bike suspension forks. 
because of a potential fall hazard. These are the 2013 um, Evolution suspension forks. There are about 11,250 of these in the United States and about 1,250 of them in Canada. The problem here is that the suspension forks damper cylinder and piston can separate, causing the front wheel to detach, therefore, as you can imagine, posing a fall hazard. Uh, the recalled forks are model years 2013. They're the 32 and 34 Evolution series with 120 millimeter to 160 millimeters of travel. You can find the Evolution name and logo on a sticker on the front fork with the Fox brand name logo. Uh, if you go to my website, go to the show notes for show number 209 and click on the link. There's a lot more details for this as well. And of course, you should stop riding this product immediately and return it to your dealer for a repair or a replacement. All right, next up, again, another Fred product, this one for road bikes, and it's from Trek. And they are recalling 2013 model year Madone bicycles because the front brake can fail, posing a crash hazard. The recall involves model year 2013 Trek Madone bikes with model numbers 5.2, 5.9, 6.2, 6.5, 7.7, or 7.9. And there's about 6,800 bikes involved in this recall. Again, go to my website, click on the link because there's a lot more details to help you identify whether or not your bike is involved here. But again, don't use that bike. Get it fixed, take it to your truck dealer, and get it repaired as quickly as you can. Next up, Burke Burley. Burley Design is recalling tailwind racks for trailer cycles because of, of a fall hazard. Uh, the product involved here, these are, you know, again, used for hitching a children's trailer cycle to an adult size bicycle. There's about 4,150 of these in the United States and just 17 in Canada. The problem here is that the top portion of the tailwind rack that connects the trailer cycle to your bike can break allowing the trailer cycle to disconnect, and then your child is going to fall. So you're going to want to get this taken care of. Again, these are tailwind racks. Uh, they're aluminum, and they're in black or silver or with Kazoo or Piccolo brand trailer cycles. And you can, again, go to the website and read the link there to see the specific serial numbers of the trailer cycles covered by this recall. But get it taken care of, would you please? And finally, Schwalbe or Schwalbe is replacing tires on some cube race bikes. The issue here is that there have been a few instances where the Altremo ZX tires have come away from the rim, causing damage to the bead, and you can imagine what problems that might uh, 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 result in. Again, the following bikes from the model year 2013 are affected. These are the Axial GTC SL, the Peloton Pro 3 Fosh, the Peloton Race Compact, Peloton Race 3 Fosh, Agree GTC Race Compact, Agree GTC Race 3 Fosh, Agree GTC SL Compact, Agree GTC SL 3 Fosh, Agree GTC DI2 SLT Compact, Arium Pro, Arium Race, Airy, excuse me, Agree GTC DI2 and the Peloton Pro Compact. Again, go to the link in the show notes to make sure whether or not your bike 
is covered by this recall and get your Schwalbe Ultramo ZX tires replaced by Schwalbe. Phew, and that does it for our recalls this week. Thank you for staying tuned. I just know that there are a lot of products there that will affect many of you who are listening. So thanks for sticking, sticking with me through all those product recalls. Hey, everybody, you, you know how much I love bike share, so I have a couple of, of interesting bike share stories real quick for you. First of all, the new bike share system in Austin, Texas, debuted this weekend in downtown Austin on Saturday morning. This is Austin B-Cycle, and you, if you live in Austin or you're visiting Austin, you can, just like all of the other bike share systems around the world, rent a bike by purchasing a flat rake annual or day pass or you can rent a bike for the cost of $4 per half hour. I've got a link in the show notes to where you can get more information on Austin B-Cycle, but congratulations to that very bike-friendly city for finally adding a bike share system to its infrastructure. And one of the most famous and most talked about bike share systems in the world is the one in London, the Barclays Bicycle Hire System, which most people generally just call Boris Bikes, after Boris Johnson, the mayor of London. Well, can you imagine, if you've ever ridden a bike share bike, could you imagine ever taking a bike share bike on one of the most famous Tour de France climbs? That's exactly what one individual did for charity recently. Checking out a Boris bike from London, putting it in a van, taking it through the Euro Tunnel and to the foot of Mont Ventoux, then riding that bike to the summit of Mont Ventoux. Remember, these things are just three speeds and they weigh about 50 pounds. And then returning it back to London with just under a minute to spare in the 24-hour limit before the cyclist w- would have been charged the 150-pound 24 or in excess of 24-hour rate. Robert Holden rode the 14-mile climb to the summit of Mont Ventoux in two hours and 55 minutes and was quoted as saying, quote, the ride itself was ridiculously hard. My whole body was in pain, but I managed to fight it or fight on to the summit. With essentially one gear the whole way up, it was a struggle just keeping the pedals turning, and there was a fair bit of weaving at the top. Having said all that, the weather was perfect The mountain was awe-inspiring, and I reached the summit at sunset, which was perfect. Now, for his part, the mayor of London, Boris Johnson, said, quote, huge congratulations to the trio who have conquered Mont Ventoux for charity and shown our Gallic cousins just how sturdy our city's higher bikes are. This was an astonishing feat of endurance made all the more remarkable by the breakneck speed at which they whizzed back in time to avoid getting a fine. Now, the trio involved in this feat were Matthew Winstone, Ian Laurie, and the aforementioned Robert Holden, and they have so far raised about 4,000 pounds for the Macmillan Cancer Support, which was chosen because Mr. Holden's father suffered from cancer. Congratulations to the trio. Quite a feat for a bike share bike. And by the way, I have a feeling Mr. Johnson probably would not generally endorse taking one of those bikes out of the country in the future, but still a great feat. Congratulations to you all. And with that awe-inspiring story, that's going to end the news for this episode of the Fredcast.
And that gives me the opportunity to thank another one of our sponsors, Fazari Bicycles at Fazari.com. Every time I go by my Fazari 4A CR5, I look at it longingly because it is such a pleasure to ride. Before this most recent injury, I did have the opportunity to finally get back out on the roads. And what a pleasure it was to ride the Fazari 4A CR5 with the Dura Ace components, the incredible carbon frame, the Reynolds Assault wheels, and the great fit of the Fazari bike. Because remember, Fazari gives you quality, direct, and custom. And that's what makes Fazari so special. You are getting a top-of-the-line, incredibly meticulously designed road or mountain bike with some of the most amazing technology in the bicycle industry, incredible quality and quality control. And because you're getting it manufacturer direct, you're getting at it at a price thousands of dollars less than from any other brand. Now, I know a lot of you, maybe you didn't get the bike you wanted for Christmas, but I'll bet you got some money from grandma or grandpa, maybe an aunt or uncle. Maybe your spouse told you to go out and buy something nice. I'd recommend you go to fazari.com right away and check out the incredible range of mountain and road bikes that they have, and you will not believe the prices and the fact that you're going to be able to get a custom fit bike shipped directly to your house. And you know what? They've got an incredible 30-day guarantee. So if you're not happy, return it to them. Or better yet, tell them what it is that you're not happy about. Knowing the guys at Fazari, they're going to make you ecstatic. So go ahead and check them out there at Fazari.com. That's F as in Frank, E-double-Z-A-R-I.com. Custom, quality, direct. They're right here in Utah. They're great guys, and they've got an incredible product at the most amazing price. Check them out. And when you do, let them know you heard about it right here on the Fredcast. Well, the feature segment on today's episode of the Fredcast is all about you. It's all about your voicemails. I asked you for voicemails and man, did you send them. So I think you're all going to find this very interesting. Well, the first voicemail that we've gotten today is not on the topic of cyclist versus motorist, but it's one that I did want to bring to you because it was in response to a recent episode of the Fredcast. This is from listener Owen, and he wanted to give me some comments, his thoughts on my recent comments on the Fredcast about Strava. Hi, David. Owen here from Phillip Island, Australia, just with a couple of comments about Strava from episode 207. I agree that the use of digital EPO etc just isn't on. goes against all the cycling etiquette I've ever been brought up with and I think it's a disgrace. On the other hand I think you should reconsider your use of Strava. I mainly use it not to compare myself with other riders but to compare my own times on different segments and I find that very useful when it comes to assessing my fitness and how I'm going at various times of the year. Anyway, enjoying the, the Fredcast as usual. Keep up the good work. Hey, thanks, Owen. You know, that, that's something that I hadn't thought of before and, and something that I will try out in the future. And it makes a lot of sense. As I said on a recent show, and I'm not going to go into great detail, I'm not a huge fan of Strava, but I do like 
the thought of using it for comparing my own performance, whether I'm uh, climbing a hill or I'm on a long straightaway uh, and I want to compare my speed uh, and my time today versus previous results. So a great thought, Owen. Thank you very much for calling in. I very much appreciate it. And I'll give Strava a try for just that purpose. Next up is a voicemail from Chris, which when you hear it may sound a little self-serving on my part, but stick with me uh, on the other end and uh, I'll let you know why I'm playing it. Hi, David. My name is Chris Hache and I'm calling from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. And I just wanted to send a quick thank you for your podcast. I've been listening for the last couple of years and it certainly has served to inform me much more about what cycling is and the benefits that you can get thereof. I really appreciate all the product reviews and I really like your uh, trade show podcasts because those are really informative as to what products are coming down the pipeline. So once again, thank you very much. Keep it up and keep on podcasting. Take care. Bye-bye. First of all, thanks, Chris. I really, really appreciate the the sentiment. And that's precisely why I'm playing it. You know, we all know that I've got a day job and a family and clearly I'm injury prone. And sometimes the Fredcasts and the Spokesman podcasts don't come as often as you or I would like. But getting emails like and voicemails like that one from Chris make it all worthwhile. So I just want to say thank you to Chris in particular, but to all of you in general for listening, for staying subscribed, for your gratitude, your kind comments, hey, even your criticisms, because it shows you're listening. So know that I feel you. I I know how much more often you'd like these to come out and I do strive to make that happen. But I really appreciate receiving those kinds of thoughts and comments from all of you. And please know that they're reciprocated. I do this for you. It is my pleasure, as I've said before, to do this for you. And so thank you for being there for eight years and hopefully eight or 80 more. I don't know about 80, but something like that. Thank you all for being there and thank you for listening. It is very much appreciated. And Chris, thanks again. And now perhaps the moment you've all been waiting for after episode 208 and my recent spokesman podcast, I don't think I've ever gotten as much response as I did to those two shows. And Carlton Reed from bikebiz.com says the exact same thing about uh, our recent spokesman podcast in which we discussed the whole debate of cars versus bikes out on the road and what should be done. And I asked you to please send in your voice comments and man, did you? And so what you're about to hear are the comments of your fellow listeners and their responses to those shows. A couple of things before we get into it, and I will play them back to back for you. First of all, I learned some things. I have two ways that you can send, three ways that you can send me voicemail. One, you can make a recording on your computer and you can email it to me. Two, you can use something called SpeakPipe, which is built into my website. You'll see it on the right-hand side there, and you can use your computer's microphone to send me a message. What I learned is... That has a 90-second limit. I hadn't known that previously, so now you know that. The other way that you can send me a message is to use the Fredcast listener hotline at 661-513-FRED. 
What I've learned, and that's a Google Voice line, is that too has a limit, and that's just three minutes. So in some cases, when you listen to these messages, you will hear, uh, they may sound a little bit disjointed if they go beyond a minute and a half or three minutes, depending on how they sent them. And that's simply because the caller had to hang up and call back. So no fault to them. That's simply a fault of the systems that I use. Now, for those of you who sent in your voicemails, I promised you a road ID gift certificate. I told you that I had a limited number of them, but it looks like everybody, I believe everybody should be getting a road ID gift certificate. If I run out of those, I've got other swag that I can send to you as well. And if I did run out, uh, by the way, I'm doing this by date and timestamp order. So if I run out of road ID gift certificates, I'll shoot you an email and I will let you know what other swag I have that I can send you. Trust me, it will be equal or greater value to the road ID certificate. However, one person on here didn't give me their email address. So Mario, you, your voicemail is on here. I will be using it on the show, but please, I need your email address. So call back uh, and that way I'll be able to match the voice so that I know it's really you. And then I will send you your certificate out via email. So before we get started, the first voicemail that I am going to play uh, is actually one that I specifically requested. This one is from Preston Tyree down in Texas. And Preston is well known as a cycling safety educator for the League of American Bicyclists. And I wanted to get Preston's take directly on what we discussed on the show. So Preston is our first voicemail, and then we will go through the rest of them in order. I hope you enjoy this. I hope you enjoy the perspectives of your fellow listeners. I will see you on the other side for some final closing comments. Hello, David. This is Preston Terry. I'm calling to talk about the podcast you recently published relating to what cyclists should do regarding laws. You know me, but let me give you a little background for your listeners. I've been riding for 65 years, have ridden on six continents, 31 states, and have never been hit by a car. I have one bike with over 100,000 miles on it. I have raced both road and mountain. I have a degree in engineering and an MBA. I retired from a career in international marketing in 1987, and since 1996, I have been working full-time in active transportation issues. I have been education director for my local bike club, Bike Texas, and the League of American Bicyclists. I am one of the league's coaches and have trained over 400 league cycling instructors. I serve as an expert witness on bicycle crashes and have been retained in over 20 cases. My approach to cycling, whether it is for transportation or recreation, is a lot like my approach to politics. If you lean too far one way or the other, you will fall down and get hurt. Do I roll stop signs where it is legal and safe to do so? Of course I do. In Austin, where I live, the police have an operating policy that if any vehicle operator, including an automobile, slows down to a walking speed, looks carefully, and when it is safe, proceeds without stopping, they will not ticket them. Do I roll stop signs in Austin? Not when there are motorists that can see me. My whole life right now is working with communities to make it safe to walk and cycle. That means educating pedestrians and cyclists to make safe decisions educating non-cyclists to understand the benefits that come to the community when cycling and walking become a significant share of the transportation mix, getting policies changed to make it easier to build roads that accommodate all users, and convincing the police and judiciary 
that pedestrians and cyclists should be treated equitably. So I wear, so I stop at stop signs and I wear a helmet. Not necessarily because I think every cyclist should do so, but because the people who can make a difference for cyclists in our communities will disregard pretty much everything I say if I don't. Is that unfair? Probably. But I was a successful executive because I understood the politics of the possible. When I have a meeting with someone who wears a suit, I wear a suit. If I show up in Lycra or ratty blue jeans, it simply reduces the probability that what I have to say will be heard and considered. It's like showing up to the tour with a hybrid. I've got to work a lot harder just to stay in the race. If I talk with the police, I don't start by telling them I don't trust them. Should cyclists obey the traffic laws? Absolutely. But the overriding responsibility for cyclists is to keep themselves safe. I tell people that they cannot compromise their safety for anyone's convenience, even their own. Rolling a stop sign, rolling a red light, filtering forward on the right at a traffic signal all fall into that category. Vehicular cyclists like to quote John Forrester and say, cyclists fare best when they act and are treated as drivers of vehicles. I agree and teach that philosophy, but I add the tagline that you can't be stupid about it. There is no one right answer. What works in Amsterdam doesn't necessarily work in Dallas or London or Austin. But today's world of instant communication lets us see what is happening around the world and make use of it. I was recently in El Paso and realized that although they were way behind the curve in making their community bicyclists friendly, they were making great strides because they had so many good examples to choose from. That is one of the greatest benefits of the Bicycle Friendly America program from the League. It shares what people are doing and we don't have to make the same mistakes over and over again. I think that is our job as advocates, to be knowledgeable about all of the options for education, engineering, and enforcement, and make sure that the people that make a difference in our community have seen what can be done. We are all in this together. We can't afford to get in a battle of us against them. We need to ensure that the laws recognize the differences among pedestrians, cyclists, and motorists and are applied in an equitable manner. Are we vulnerable? You bet. But simply slowing traffic and providing appropriate infrastructure for all users changes the equation. And bicycle-pedestrian infrastructure is much cheaper than motor vehicle infrastructure and is good business in the right setting. One of the biggest differences between our culture and that of Amsterdam is that every motorist in Amsterdam is a cyclist sometimes during the week. They have ongoing traffic education in the schools for at least six years, but it hasn't always been that way. It has taken them 45 years to get there from a transportation system that had been given over to the motorist. There's a great film clip about the transition from auto-centric to people-centric transportation. It shows that the people stepped up and blockaded the roads to create change. We may get to that point. They recently did so in London. But I believe that the best way to work through the system, as an educator and an advocate, and I will keep working through the system to create the change we need. Thank you, David. I really appreciate the work you do. Hi, David. This is Joe. I think you hit the nail on the head with regard to your latest podcast on bike and auto interaction. The key word for us really is predictability and on both sides of the equation. My wife and I ride a tandem on the road almost exclusively. And what we find is that with her able to make human-to-human -human contact, eye-to-eye contact with the drivers, 
it it brings it back to a human interaction versus car and biker or driver and cyclist and that really for us makes us so much more comfortable and we feel safer on the road than as as it would be if I were just on a single bike. Thank you. I enjoy your podcast. Bye. Hi, my name is Joe. I'm from South Jersey. I live about two minutes outside of Philadelphia over the bridge. I listen to the podcast, not only Fredcast, but also The Spokesman, and didn't send any reply for the email because I wanted to think about this for a little bit. I will say, though, it's interesting to hear from both sides, mainly because drivers want cyclists to be safe because they are scared a little bit of hitting another cyclist, but they are also very distracted all the time. As far as a cyclist goes, I make sure to really plan out my routes properly because I know that I'm not welcome on most roads, and I need to be careful, especially with the highways and byways that we have that intertwine all over the place. This is one of the most densely populated parts of the world, and it definitely shows. So I would say that's my point of I can see it from both sides. However, I really hope that things get better. On that, great to listen. I hope to see more of this come up again, and hopefully we'll see more laws and everything get passed. Have a great holiday season. Happy Thanksgiving. Hi, David. My name is Chris Wright. So you had asked, have we ever had a near miss? And I've had several near misses, including a guy who threw empty beer cans at me from his pickup truck and uh, someone else who tried to swerve their vehicle and run me off the road. I've been harassed multiple times and was doored once, riding by uh, parked cars and someone opened their door and broke a couple of toes. And also um, know someone who's been harassed, my wife. I think sometimes drivers pick on women even more. So uh, I also wanted to comment on something I had heard in your uh, one of your podcasts, and that was you had mentioned that you didn't think people ran red lights very often. And all I can say to that is come to upstate New York, and you'll see three, four, five cars run every red light. But you don't pull out when the light turns green. You wait to see how many cars will run the light before you pull out. So I just wanted to leave that with you. And I appreciate all your podcasts. Have a great evening. Thanks. Bye. Hi, David. My name is Phil Mercer. I just wanted to comment on your podcast. I've really enjoyed both the Fredcast and the Spokesman um, here in Queensland in Australia. Uh, We've had a parliamentary committee announce some recommended changes to cycling laws. And while we're yet to see what will be adopted, we've definitely, um, uh, us as commuters on the road, have really sensed a, a uh, greater space left for us by drivers and a bit more respect by motorists, possibly because the government is actually standing up for us as a group. And that has uh, come about because we've had um, parliamentarians who are cyclists themselves. Um, but that's my thoughts. Uh, I, I think the recent podcasts have been really on topic and really fantastic, and uh, please keep up the good work. Thank you, and always enjoying the show. Bye. Hi, David. This is Adam in Arizona. I'm responding to your question from episode 208. And like you, I've never been actually hit by a car, but I've had numerous near misses. 
the worst being when I was living in Southern California, almost got run over by an RTD bus, uh, with the result being that I ruined a rear wheel and had to call for a ride home. I've also been harassed a lot by motorists, uh, had water thrown on me, my wife has had hot coffee thrown on her, we get honked at all the time, swerved at, yelled at, generally for no reason. Uh, we stop at every red light. We slow way down for at, at least every stop sign, if not uh, completely stop. And the worst of it, though, is I had a friend, a, a person I knew, was a good friend of my grandfather's. She got ran over and killed by a garbage truck when they were up in Central California on a multi-day tour and it happened right in front of her husband so it was pretty tragic but I want to thank you for all the safety uh, discussions you have and keep up the good work thanks hi David my name is Joe from Lone Tree Colorado and I am a road cyclist here as well as a huge commuter by bike and I wanted to take your um, your survey that you um, talked about this last podcast and unfortunately I can answer yes to all four uh, questions near miss by car um, yes uh, multiple times and um, I was hit by a car once I don't know if I guess ref or technically I hit the car it pulled in front of me and I went over the uh, flying over the hood of the car uh, fortunately I wasn't hurt and the bike was paid for by the motorist um harassed by car or motorists uh absolutely multiple multiple times um whether it was um ice being thrown at me or or uh, people yelling for me to get onto the sidewalk um or a lot of harassment in the the canyon canyon roads uh unfortunately those are typically the more dangerous harassments um and uh friends that have been harassed um absolutely and it it seems like um i do a lot of writing by myself and it seems like i'm i experience more or less harassment when i'm writing my by myself than writing with uh, multiple riders even if we are riding single file and obeying every law um, out there. And as far as the debate on the uh, car versus cyclist, um, I think we'll always be looked at as being in the way and not belonging. Unfortunately, I completely don't agree with that. But um, I don't think that we'll ever get the respect that uh, we deserve being a cyclist. Um, unfortunately and so uh i abide by the rules i i ride appropriately um i drive appropriately um i think everybody should whether they're um on on their on foot in a car or by bike but i i think unfortunately um we're always going to be looked as being in the way um i'm going to keep this short I could go on and on about this, but um, uh, choose to be happy, um, choose to be safe, and of course, enjoy the ride. Uh, 
Hi, David. This is Mario from uh, Northern California, about 60 miles north of San Francisco in a cycling mecca here. And um, I'm commenting about the uh, last Fredcast about the cyclists versus cars on the road. And I agree um, with you in that if we, as cyclists, obey the rules of the road, and, and drivers who are, especially ones on the fence about the debate between bikes being on the road and all that, if they see a cyclist behaving properly and uh, not running red lights and being aware of cars, that it uh, gives them no ammunition to say anything about cyclists. And uh, while I think there's always going to be drivers on the road who don't think bikes should be on the road, and there's nothing we can do about them, most people would be happy to share the road with cyclists, uh, but not cyclists that don't obey the rules of the road. And when I ride with – I have a few friends who have the um, idea that bikes should be able to – ride anywhere and there's sort of an entitlement there and I get a little uncomfortable sometimes riding with them when because they uh, you know don't ride single file and I try to encourage them to because um, the more that we do the right thing and just leave room for the cars and they should leave room for us but um the more that we behave, it just gives them no ammunition to hate cyclists or less anyway. And uh, so anyway, that's my two cents. Hi, David. My name is also David. Um, I am calling because I listened to the latest Fredcast today while riding my bike in the uh, garage because here in Chicago it's uh, getting too cold to go out on the road and uh, I found it very interesting and I was calling to give you my two cents. Um, First of all, I agree that cyclists obeying the laws will, at the worst, have no impact on the situation and can potentially help, although Carlton did raise some valid points indicating this probably won't happen. Um, Something that wasn't part of the discussion is an issue that I think is a big part of the core of this problem. Now, I'm talking strictly about drivers who have the bike shouldn't be on the road attitude, not the accidental uh, people who who aren't paying attention and have accidents because of that reason or others. And before that, though, I want to say that I am not a driver. Uh, I've had some vision loss, and uh, while I'm okay to ride a bike, I cannot drive a car. I do think driver education would help a lot, and certainly a legal system that protects cyclists and doles out, truly doles out justice would also help. But I don't think these things can happen until we confront a bigger, uglier issue, and that is, at least here in the States, that so many people do not like anyone that's different from them, Uh, be it race, ethnicity, religion, or any other group. You You can't classify someone by, if you're not like me, 
I don't trust you. That attitude is pervasive. We see it here all the time. No, this doesn't apply to everyone, but it applies to enough people to make a difference. And I believe that drivers often don't like cyclists for that reason, regardless of whatever logical justification they think they are using. Uh, this is even true in the cycling community. Because of various medical issues, I now ride a recumbent trike. And most road cyclists look at me with the what the hell is wrong with this guy look on their face. And after undergoing three surgeries this summer, when I was finally given the okay to start riding again, I told one of my old cycling buddies that I got a recumbent trike and had started riding again. He acted like I had the plague simply because I was riding a recumbent trike, and he seriously asked me what was wrong with me and said normal people don't ride those. There's a very large cycling club that's local to me that has two regular rides a week that leave from very close to my home. I emailed them asking them to a few questions, whether they had any recumbent riders, average speeds, things like that. Got no answer, so I went over to a restaurant where I knew they regularly met for lunch after one of the rides. And as I approached the table with over a dozen of them, I said, is it okay if I ask a few questions about your rides? One woman out of all of them turned around and spoke to me, and she was very nice, but the rest clearly wanted to have nothing to do with me. And I, I was guilty of the same thing. When I used to ride my diamond frame bike with my cycling buddies, we would joke that to ride a recumbent, you had to have a long grizzled beard and smoke a pipe. So I think when some cyclists see a, when some drivers see a cyclist on the road, they see something different and in their eyes, that's not a good thing. They shouldn't be trusted and they're, they're up to no good. On the positive side, most drivers around here are very polite. They give me very wide berths when they're going around me. I get very few honks, although the opposite has also happened, where I've had the screaming truck driver telling me to get my, that effing thing off his effing road. But honestly, I feel that until people become more accepting of differences among each other, we're going to have these problems for a long time. Thanks for your <clears throat> thanks for your time. Bye. Hi, David. I'm commenting about the episode 208. Um, I, this is uh, Justin Husky. Um, I have to answer um, yes to three out of the four questions. The question I did not answer yes to is that I've never been hit, but I've been pretty close to being hit um, by drivers. Um, I think the um, majority of the cyclists who are it. Our, our hit or it's unintentional. I think uh, drivers are distracted, they just don't see us, or they try to pass us in areas that they shouldn't be passing us, like a blind corner, then they have to um, swerve back into the lane to avoid the traffic, therefore hitting the cyclists. Um, but I do think a lot of the cyclists um, do not um, signal their intentions either. I don't know how many times I've followed cyclists down the road who are just clueless and are swerving back and forth in the middle of the road. Um, and just uh, have no clue that somebody's behind them and, or somebody's trying to get around them. Um, however, I do think that the um, drivers who rest 
the harass the cyclist or, or is intentional. I've, um, I think they do the same to other drivers as well, um, even do it to runners and uh, to walkers. Um, I think this has comes down to our society as a whole being ignorant towards each other and that we're no longer held accountable for our actions or lack of actions. Um, that we've all created a society that's about me and that we're in such a hurry to save a few seconds. Gets in hell with everybody else who gets in our way. Um, and what I even see even, I guess, more is that um, this is seen on TV every day, and um, especially on like reality TV where we see people getting treated like crap by other people and we're basically allowed to get away with it. And we even think it's funny um, at the, uh, the expense of the victim. Um, I think if uh, things are going to change, um, our society needs to change and start being held accountable for their actions or lack of actions and learn to treat each other with respect and their, that their lives are as just as valuable as our own. Um, so I think it's just how this society is these days and just a complete lack of respect for others. Um, thank you very much. Have a good day. Hi, David. Steve Simmons from Porchester, New York here. I've been listening to the Fredcast and Spokesman for a long time and enjoy the work you put into it. Listening to the cars versus bikes debate from the November 16th Spokesman, I found one important point that seemed to be missing throughout the cars versus bike debate, namely personal responsibility for actually taking part in a sport that has inherent dangers. I agree that we all need to be good cycling citizens and that even with our best behavior put forth at all times, there will still be accidents involving cars and bikes, just as there are plenty of car versus car accidents every day. While we cyclists might have the right to ride on whatever roads we choose, I'd personally prefer to be alive than right, so I tend to pick safer routes while avoiding areas known for vehicle congestion, bad drivers, and other dangerous conditions. If that means I have to ride a little further to get to my destination, so be it. I enjoy riding anyway. Additionally, I wanted to refute the idea that liability should be influenced by the size or type of the vehicle you're driving for the exact same reasons. We all have personal choices to make. You can drive an enormous SUV, a tiny smart car, or ride your bike. With those choices come certain consequences for which we should all take personal responsibility. For example... Getting rear-ended in a car at 10 miles an hour will likely result in a trip to the body shop and some other minor inconveniences. If that same car plows into my bike at 10 miles an hour, the protection offered by my bike, Lycra shorts, and a styrofoam hat don't really offer much protection, and I'll probably end up in the hospital or maybe even the morgue. In both cases, the driver of the guilty car made the same mistake, but the results could be very different. I accept this risk every time I go for a ride. And I don't feel that the other person on the road should suffer an additional punishment for my decision to ride a bike in traffic, unless there are some other circumstances involved like drunk driving or gross negligence. Bottom line, it's very uncommon for any motorist to wake up in the morning and simply decide that they want to get into an accident or kill somebody on a bike. Unfortunately, our choice that we make ourselves to ride bikes puts us in more jeopardy when accidents happen. I'm all for throwing the book at negligent drivers, drunks, or anybody who poses a hazard on the road, but in the end, the laws need to be applied evenly, and cyclists need to take full responsibility for their inherently less protected means of transportation. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to your response. Hi, David. My name's Mark. 
and I live in Southern California, and I wanted to add my opinion to this debate between drivers of cars and cyclists and obeying traffic laws. Um, I ride primarily in Orange County, and I ride on roads that have dedicated bike lanes. These roads are the gold standard of what a bike lane should be. We're talking three feet of space. We're talking striped, very clear stripe delineating the difference between the road and a bike lane. And unfortunately, some of these roads still have a body count because cyclists have been killed by distracted drivers. Uh, I love riding these roads. I love riding Newport Coast. I love riding PCH. And I'm going to continue to ride these roads, but I feel that I have to really be aware when I'm out there of what's going on around me. Um, and it's very much like driving a car. Uh, sometimes you have to be like driving for other people because sometimes people do really stupid things when they get behind the wheel of a car. Uh, with regard to the laws, uh, the laws need to be applied equally fairly and consistently both to cyclists and drivers of cars if there's ever going to be a change in behavior. And this next part really pains me to say this because the people, the cyclists that I see committing the most offenders to those laws are the Freds, are the cyclists. Uh, yeah, it's upsetting that serious cyclists are the most visible offenders of traffic laws. And it's, and it's upsetting that the people who should be the most educated in the way of road etiquette are often the biggest offenders. And we're the most visible guys. From the Lycra, the bright clothing, the shiny bikes... Uh, we're the most visible, and we're going the fastest. You can't avoid seeing us on the road when we do something stupid. And these attitudes we have and the behaviors need to change. The only way I can think of this happening is for like-minded people um, who obey these traffic laws for the purposes of safety and getting the respect that we need on the road. We need to speak up and voice our displeasure with the people who do not obey these laws. And if that means like not going on group rides with people who run stop signs and who kind of skate around red lights, then so be it. And you need to tell them why you're not riding in their group ride anymore and that it has to do with getting, gaining that respect. That's the only thing I can come up with that will help. Uh, David, I love the show. Keep doing it. It's nice to have a voice out there. Take care. Clearly, a lot of passion on this issue. Clearly, a lot of experience and knowledge. But I really appreciate hearing from all of you, each and every one of you. Uh, and I know that this is a contentious issue and one that we're going to be dealing with for quite some time. Again, I simply encourage you all to be good cycling citizens. And when you're driving, to be good motoring citizens. Be aware of each other take care of each other, and hopefully through time, these issues will be resolved. Be advocates in your community and get involved. It is the only way things are going to change. So thank you to all of you for calling in, sending in your audio comments. It is very much appreciated. I have a feeling this is not the last we'll hear of this subject. And with that, we're getting close to the end of what has been a long show. However, 
please keep in mind what I said. I've got four, four Podsafe music tracks for you today. They're holiday themed. I hope you'll enjoy them. So stick around for those. But before we go, a couple of pieces of business, how to contact us here at the Fredcast. Obviously, I talked about the show notes a lot on today's show. You can find those on our website and all information about our show at www.thefredcast.com. My email address for your comments, be they text or voice at uh, the email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. Of course, I do invite you to interact with me on Facebook and Twitter. It's facebook.com slash thefredcast for the Fredcast page. And of course, on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash Fredcast. If you'd like to send some more audio comments, and I always welcome those, and I'm going to make a policy until I run out of swag in my closet. I've got swag in my closet as long as I've got it. If you send me a voicemail and I use it on the show, I will send you some swag. That is my my promise to you. And I've got a closet full of it at the moment. So if you want to send a voice comment, of course, you can email it to thefredcast at gmail.com. You can use the Fredcast listener hotline. That's 661-513-FRED, 661-513-3733. That's got a three-minute limit on it. Uh, or you can use SpeakPipe. That's a one and a half minute limit. And simply just go to thefredcast.com and you'll see the link on the right-hand side of the page. Now, before we get into that Podsafe music, I do want to thank our show sponsors, starting with Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast. If you need those last minute gifts, an e-gift card is a great way to go. So go to jensenusa.com slash the Fredcast and send those e-gift cards now out to your friends and family. They will appreciate it because of Jensen USA's selection, pricing, and customer service. And of course, also, we want to thank our sponsor, Fazari. You can find Fazari at fazari.com. That's F as in Frank, E-double-Z-A-R-I.com, where you're going to find custom, quality, direct, incredible pricing, and incredible designs on road and mountain bikes. Great place to go spend your holiday money, fazari.com. Don't forget to tell them you heard about it on the Fredcast. And finally, I want to thank all of you for sending in your donations via PayPal. You can find the link at thefredcast.com. Your donations go straight back into the show. I really appreciate it. So if you haven't done it lately, I would appreciate your donations. Go to www.thefredcast.com and click that donation link. And now it's time for something we've been doing for now more than eight years of the Fredcast. It's time for Podsafe Cycling Music. If you haven't been with us very long, This is simply music that we are allowed to play on a podcast because it has the right licensing attached to it, so that makes it pod safe. And it's cycling music because typically these are songs that are chosen specifically because we think that they would be great to ride to. Now, normally our pod safe cycling music is chosen specifically for the Fredcast by IndoorCyclingMusic.com, and you all know that that's the home of the free weekly featured track and premium members content which includes weekly 30 and 60-minute cardio mixes and monthly 90-minute cardio mixes to get the world moving. You can find them at IndoorCyclingMusic.com. But this week, sorry, I decided to choose the music myself. What I've got for you this week are four holiday-themed tunes. You've heard them on the show in years past. I just enjoy them so much. I wanted to play them for you again. There's original tunes, and there's also some arrangements of some 
well, some familiar tunes as well. The first song is by the Rev Jimmy Bratcher. He's the guy who plays Happy at the top of every episode of the Fredcast. It's his song, Man, It's Christmas. After that, it's Charlie Crow singing Not So Silent Night. And then the Rev Jimmy Bratcher is back again with Bell Carol Blue. And then finally, Mario Ahero does his piano arrangement of the perennial favorite, Auld Lang Syne. So from my family to all of you, from deep in our hearts, thank you so much for listening Thank you for staying subscribed, and thank you for telling your friends about the Fredcast Cycling Podcast. It is my pleasure to do this show for you. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoy doing it. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. A happy new year. I look forward to talking to you again in 2014. We'll be back in the new year with more episodes of the Fredcast, but between now and then, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride. Snow is flat, man, it's cold, it's in the air everywhere I go. It's a crazy time of the year. Man, it's Christmas. Family's coming from out of town. Mama's cooking, so look out now. It's the best time of the year. Man, it's Christmas. Mangers and mistletoe, stocking trees and lights that glow, turkey dressing and all that stuff. I know for sure I'm gonna eat too much. Married Jesus and three wise men, Joseph Angels at Bethlehem. Come on, let's celebrate. Man, it's Christmas.
silver bells, sweet silver bells, all seem to say, throw care away. Christmas is here, bringing good cheer to young and old. Oh, how they pound, raising a sound. 